0: You may stay standing, book of Exodus chapter 7. And if you're a guest this morning, we're glad that you're with us. If you're joining us online, we're glad that you have joined us this morning. And uh, we uh, we are going to be continue our study called Getting Out of Egypt Sermon Series. We've been talking about this war for worship and the continual conflict that... Uh, am I on back there? Okay. The continual conflict that God has really called Moses and Aaron to uh, engage in to free the children of Israel... And so, uh, we've been in this for several weeks, so this is a, this is a, uh, you know, kind of just picking up where we left off. It's just, just uh, adding to where we've been. And so, uh, if you, by the way, if you don't have a Bible, you can grab one from the seat rack nearest you that has one and open to page 91 and you'll be right where we're going to be in our text this morning. And I'd like to just start off by refreshing us in this chapter where we've been, and and then we'll just jump back in, review where we were at, and jump into this last point about resting in God's ability. So if you have your Bibles, Exodus chapter 7, verse 1, the Bible says, And as the Lord said unto Moses, See, I have made thee a god to Pharaoh, and Aaron thy brother shall be thy prophet. Thou shalt speak all that I command thee, and Aaron thy brother shall speak unto Pharaoh that he send the children of Israel out of this land, or out of his land, pardon me, Verse 3, and I will harden Pharaoh's heart and multiply my signs and my wonders in the land of Egypt. But Pharaoh shall not hearken unto you, that I may lay my hand upon Egypt and bring forth my armies and my people, the children of Israel, out of the land of Egypt by great judgments. And the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I stretch forth mine hand upon Egypt and bring out the children of Israel from among them. And Moses and Aaron did as the Lord commanded them, so did they. And Moses was fourscore years old, and Aaron was fourscore and three years old, when they spake unto Pharaoh. And the Lord spake unto Moses and unto Aaron, saying, When Pharaoh shall speak unto you, saying, Show a miracle for you, then thou shalt say unto Aaron, Take thy rod and cast it before Pharaoh, and it shall become a serpent. And Moses and Aaron went in unto Pharaoh, and and they did so as the Lord had commanded. And Aaron cast down his rod before Pharaoh and before his servants, and it became a serpent. Then Pharaoh also called wise men and sorcerers, now the magicians of Egypt, they also did in like manner with their enchantments, for they cast down every man his rod as, as they became serpents, and Aaron's rod swallowed up their rods, and he hardened Pharaoh's heart, and he hearkened not unto them as the Lord had said. Heavenly Father, we're so thankful to be in your church today before your word, and Lord, I pray this morning that our hearts would not be hard. Lord, we do not want to be like Pharaoh. Lord, I pray, God, that you would give us the tender soil of the heart, like you talk about in Matthew 13. Lord, I pray that the word of God would drift down into our hearts, Lord, that it would be well watered, Lord, that it would bring forth fruit that remains and much fruit and fruit that brings glory to your name forever and ever. Oh, Heavenly Father, we're so thankful for these uh, words that you've given us. Lord, you've blessed us today with your word preserved for us so that we can uh, understand what you're saying to us, that we can receive it, and that, Lord, we can bring glory to your name in time and eternity. We pray a blessing upon the reading and the hearing of your word, Lord, as we as we come together this morning. Lord, we know that we're in a continual conflict between light and dark, good and evil, this world, the flesh, and the devil and the spirit of the living God. I pray, God, that you would bless your people with your words today, that you would be magnified and glorified in time and eternity. We just thank you and we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. And uh, as you're being seated, I'll just do a little bit of review with you of where we've been. If this is your, maybe you haven't been in our series, just kind of orient you in the book of Exodus here. We've been talking about uh, this this process that's been going on. I've kind of slowed the roll in chapter 7 Is as God has really brought Moses and Aaron uh, to the place that they're confronting uh, Pharaoh, and they're doing this in a continual fashion as we'll get into those ten plagues, Pharaoh's not just going to capitulate, right? they got to keep coming back and coming back and dealing with this situation. And so the first thing that we saw that we need to do to be ready to deal with this war for worship, because ultimately that's what it's about. Uh, God wants his people to worship him. He has a promised land for them. And Pharaoh's like, No, I need them to stay here, I need them to work for me, I need them to be under my yoke. And there was a conflict of interest between God's people and Pharaoh and uh, and God and Pharaoh. And of course Pharaoh had been abusing God's people and they were they were in his uh in, under his dominion and under his power and they were profitable for him as they were useful in the workforce and all of that, and he didn't want to let them go because he he liked to make them making bricks. Right. Uh, he was using them for construction projects and all the ind- industry there in Egypt. And so uh, and so these shepherds had turned into contractors and these contractors were quite successful and uh, he no longer wanted them to be free to go back where they came from or where the promised land that God had actually given Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. So we find that that when Moses goes to confront him, it's a little shaky at first and it gets a little worse. And and part of that is what we've already read in the beginning verses there where he calls them armies. God was hardening them in a, in a really like in a physical, emotional and a mental sense to be able to endure the rigors of what was coming because God was calling them out, not as poor peasants, not as victims, but as victors, people who were forming, he says, armies because they're going to go into the promised land eventually and and take out the giants and claim the inheritance God, it in 400 years over 400 years God had been gracious to those inhabitants and they had had every opportunity to repent eventually God will send God's people in to root them out and judge them for the sin and wickedness that they were doing with all the child sacrifices and all the things going on in the promised land in the meantime uh, We see that Moses and Aaron uh, being called to, to draw out Israel, uh, run into some issues initially, but when we get into chapter four, uh, we see that all of a sudden it clicks. All of a sudden Moses and Aaron right now in this particular text that I just read are face to face with Pharaoh. There's no backing and down and it's going the way that God envisioned it. It's going the way that God commanded it. It's going the way uh, that god wants it to go even though it doesn't work quite as fast perhaps as maybe some Of those in egypt would have liked some of those jews that were in captivity But yet it is exactly on time And so the first thing that we saw if we're going to be uh, facing off Continually in conflict with the world the flesh and the devil with darkness and light Is that we got to embrace our identity, right? We got to understand our identity and we saw that <clears throat> that, uh, you know, we have to identify uh, Embrace our identity as an officer as a soldier and as an ambassador. I might add, one of the identities that I didn't throw in that, that we talked about many month, weeks ago, months ago now, is also as a son. In, in Exodus 4:12, I believe it is, or verse 22, I can't remember, chapter 4, God deals with Israel as a son. So kind of circle back around to the type that, that James was mentioning a minute ago, that Israel's not pictured as a, as a, as the church, Israel is pictured as a son. So all the promises of Israel, uh, that they had as a group is a type of what we get as individuals. So if you want to kind of line up those charts there on your types, that's that's how that works. And then we saw last week the need to execute our responsibility, right? We got to execute the responsibility. You know, Moses went from being a guy who was a kind of a rejected prince then into becoming a shepherd. And then he got his identity and he understood that he was a you know, he was an officer because God had charged him. He was a soldier. He had to go where God told him to do no matter, uh, go where God told him to go, no matter how he felt about it. And then, and he was also an ambassador because he was representing the entire nation of people and he was representing God. And he was giving the terms uh, for Pharaoh, which could have been peaceful if Pharaoh would have obeyed. And now he's executing on it. Last week we saw how he he uh, he went in and, and he was faithful and was obedient in giving that message. And, and uh, he had that responsibility to, to speak God's message obediently and see God's redemption and ultimately God's judgment upon Pharaoh as Pharaoh's heart continues to harden as God said it would do. So that brings us to the the passage that we read this morning, particularly verses 8 through 13, which is dealing with Pharaoh and uh, standing or really Moses and Aaron standing before Pharaoh and doing this miracle that we've all seen, you know, Charlton Heston do, if you're old like me, uh, on the Ten Commandments movie. And throwing down that rod and it turning into a snake and swallowing up uh, uh, the uh, the magician's um, rods that also had turned into serpents. That is one of the craziest things. That I mean, when you think about that, it's like, did that really happen? I, I believe, yes, it did. And one of the things that Moses had to do to really come to this point where he was was able to to see God successfully work in this way is simply rest in God's ability <clears throat> he had to rest in God's ability <clears throat> so um, he had to he had to embrace his identity he had to execute his responsibility but ultimately he had to rest in God's ability this thing that God had called him to was way bigger than himself so he had to he had to trust in what God was going to do uh, in and through him, of course, and he had some experience god had already done this earlier in the in his uh, Calling on mount horeb And so if we're facing continual conflict, it requires us to rest In god's ability I'm sure some of us even today feel like you're facing continual Conflict you feel like you're kind of under the pressure. You're, there's always a tension there Well, you know what you need to rest I have to rest we have to rest Not on what we can do in the arm of our flesh but what he can do, the right hand of God. And he's able to do what he promises. Uh, when it comes to our salvation, there's not one of us in this room uh, that can get ourselves out of the grave. You can't make yourself grow taller, although the scientists think they can now with growth hormones. But at the end of the day, uh, you start monkeying with that stuff and you're getting out of bounds. I'm telling you, God is the one with the power. He is the one with the power to raise us from the dead, to give us eternal life, uh, and to get us where we need to go. That's why we get saved by grace through faith. Faith not in ourselves, uh, but faith in what Jesus Christ has already done, his finished work on the cross. He's the only one capable. And so we put our faith in him. We we trust in his ability. And so when we talk about salvation, we're not just talking about salvation from our circumstances and our bad decisions and our sinful lifestyle, which is included. We're talking about salvation from death with a capital D and hell with a capital H. We're talking about eternal life. Our, that's our biggest problem. You know, Uh you got 99 problems, right? And uh, and I'm telling you what, hell's your biggest one. I promise you that. So, sorry to offend anybody there, but anyhow, so <laughs> you need to rest in God's ability to know Pharaoh's speech, um, uh, to, um, <clears throat> because that's that's amazing. When you look at this text, look in the text with me in uh, in chapter seven and verse eight. Look at what God does here. He says, and the Lord spake unto Moses. And unto Aaron, saying in verse 9, when Pharaoh shall speak unto you, saying, show a miracle for you. Then thou shalt say unto Aaron, take thy rod and cast it before Pharaoh, and it shall become a serpent. We see here that the Lord spake unto Moses and unto Aaron. There in verse 9, and God knew Pharaoh's speech. Right? He knew Pharaoh's speech. So we can rest in God's ability to know Pharaoh's speech. He knows what's being said. He knows what's being done. Oh, can you believe this or that was said or done? God already knows it, right? It didn't catch God off guard. He knew what Pharaoh was going to say. He knew what Pharaoh was going to demand. And he had his men ready to go. You see, God knew Pharaoh would ask for a miracle of Moses. He already knew that. He's on mission. He knows everything. God has prepared Moses for this since he, uh, since his appearance on Mount Horeb. If you'll remember in Exodus chapter 4 and verse 1, uh, God there was preparing Moses on his call and he said uh, but behold they will not believe me nor hearken unto my voice Moses was very unsure of himself and for they will say the Lord hath not appeared unto thee and the Lord said unto him what is in thine hand and he said a rod and he cast it on the ground and and he cast it on the ground and it became a serpent and Moses fled from before it Moses was scared as I would be too I don't like snakes And the Lord said unto Moses, Put forth thine hand and take it by the tail. And he put forth his hand and caught it, and it became a rod in his hand, that that they may believe that the Lord thy God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, hath appeared unto thee. Now, of course, this rod that Moses had is the the one that he would give and show this sign to the people of Israel. This was not uh, talking about Pharaoh at the time. Moses is concerned about his own people believing him. So God gave him this sign. Uh, Moses pictures the law aaron is the priest right he's the picture of the priesthood and we already saw that uh, God told pharaoh uh, or told moses i'm going to make you moses a god small uh, small g to pharaoh Right, and i'm going to make aaron a prophet So now we're going to throw down you don't he doesn't pharaoh doesn't even get the benefit of moses's rod He's going to see aaron's rod. He's going to have to go through an intercessor He's getting further from god. He's getting further from god's spokesman and so Initially, this sign was introduced to Moses for his edification and the assurance of the Hebrew people. But now God's going to use this sign as evidence that Jehovah God is greater than the gods of Egypt. You see, Pharaoh trusted in a God named Eurasus or Eurus. I think it's yeah, Eurasus, Eurus, something like that. If you know, tell me the right pronunciation. It's U-R-A-E-S. So it's Eurus. I think, is how it's pronounced, Eurasus. So and this this god was a serpent god. And I'll talk a little bit more about that here in a minute, but he believed that this god, Uris, would protect uh Ra the sun god, if you've been around, you know, Egyptian uh folklore there, they believed that Ra went around the earth every day and at night he went through the he went through the underworld and was and he was protected by this serpent uh named Eurus, as long as a few other gods and goddesses. Um, and this serpent god was The one that secured the sun coming up every day. And it seems crazy to us, I know, but that's what he believed. And, uh, and so this, of course, is a cobra. You've probably seen that, the picture of the cobra on their head, you know, all the time. That's why that cobra is on their head. And, uh, and it, and it was symbolized on the crown. There was also a female deity named Wajit, which was the, uh, daughter of Ra that traveled along with them and, uh, defeated uh, you know, this, this god called Apep. There was another serpent. Apep. A-P-E-P. Uh, I can pronounce that pretty easily. Uh, Apep was this, this serpent that they feared. Uh, that was always trying to attack Ra the sun god as it went through the underworld. Alright, so this is the, this is the crazy mythology that, that he believed. But this is what they believed. That if Apep would defeat, um, Urus, then not only would the earth, the sun not come up, of course, and there would be chaos in Egypt, but also the whole universe would go into chaos. The cosmos would go into chaos. And so this was a big deal to them. And so God was selecting a serpent for a reason, especially a serpent that devours their serpent. I mean, God was sending a strong message that uh, you're in trouble, Pharaoh, because uh, I'm coming for you, right? And so uh, so God understood the source of Pharaoh's faith, right? He understood all of these things, of course. And Moses and Aaron were prepared saints meeting with a prepared sinner. Now, when we say that most of the time, and I do believe this, I think I said it as recently probably as last week, most or it's Wednesday night perhaps, I don't remember, but I do believe that, that right now especially there are a lot of prepared sinners. And when we say that, what we're talking about is people like I was, Back in 1987, a long time ago, I was a sinner that God had been working on in my heart, convicting me with the Spirit of God, showing me truth, challenging my my own belief system. So I was like prepared to hear the gospel. There are people out today, especially right now, with the way the economy's going, the way the world's going, all of that stuff that, that seems bad to many for us is kind of like, well, good, because the only person you can really trust, the only person we can really rest in anyway is Jesus. So we just happen to have a solution because Jesus is the answer. I know that sounds super simple. Sounds like, you know, we're in the 60s and, you know, we're in sandals, but it's really true. He is the way, the truth and the life. And so so we have that. But there's also prepared sinners. And in this case, Pharaoh's a prepared sinner, but not prepared in that same sense of someone who's ready and willing to repent. You see, God wants to use us as vessels of honor. He, he wants everyone to be a vessel of honor. He's not willing that any should perish. Any one of Adam's fallen uh, sons that, that are in this world and, 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 and Seth's fallen image and likeness, man. I mean, God is happy and willing and ready to redeem us and, and make us a vessel of honor. A vessel that's, that's clean and pure, you know, that he can he can drink out of. Mm. I need a drink of water. All right, so so... Just have, I didn't really plan that so uh, so I needed a drink for real So so he he makes a vessel of honor, right? Something that you you would want to drink of and then there's There's other vessels that aren't so honorable right And he'll get glory out of everyone's life even pharaoh's And pharaoh's heart was so hard that god's like, okay If you want to be that kind of vessel, then i'll use you He's a prepared sinner too God's able to use whatever you're willing to give him Not every sinner you meet is faithless. Many are faithful to God and to the gods they serve. You think, oh, sinner, people don't believe in God. They have no faith. Many people are like that. They have no faith. But many people have faith. It's just not in the one true God. And much like today is much like then. There's a lot of paganism, worshiping of the earth, worshiping of, of of course, self uh, but worshiping the earth primarily feeling like you're one with the cosmos one with the world one with the trees, you know all that stuff What's that movie? What's that 3d movie? We were watching. I can't remember the name of it. Huh? Avatar yeah, that's it. It's like avatar man. You're like all one with nature, you know, don't don't touch the root or everything goes down, you know So, uh, now we you know all of that stuff, which is it's more than conservation now we go to worshiping the creation Instead of the creator Right and and then all these other things come from that That's kind of where we are today. There's multiple gods. There's multiple beliefs. You can't tell me What to believe right? I believe what I want to believe. I believe that i'm god, you know, whatever There's all that baloney New age stuff out there that's been been around for for centuries But the reality is this If you want to go with that god will let you go as long as you you're willing to go with it He wants you to be saved, but he's not going to twist your arm If you keep hardening your heart, you'll be like pharaoh And in Pharaoh's case, he served false gods of Egypt, complete mirror opposites of Jehovah God, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, the God that Pharaoh served is the same Luciferian God that is served in false religions and secret societies today. For Solomon said, there is nothing new under the sun. So there's nothing new under the sun. So God knew Pharaoh would appeal to Moses for a miracle. So he prepared a miracle in Moses's hand. Specifically, I should say, rather, in Aaron's hand. So nothing Pharaoh brought to Moses and Aaron surprised God. It's worth noting that God specifically told Moses to respond with words to Aaron upon hearing this challenge to perform a miracle. Why is this? Is because God was not dignifying Pharaoh with a direct response from Moses anymore. Now he's just saying, hey, whenever he asks for this, Moses, you tell Aaron... To cast down his rod. Don't even tell Pharaoh. Because the, the table is turning. You're the ambassador. And I'm sending a message to Pharaoh. That he's going to work through Aaron right now. And I, I mean. God is—what is What is God doing? He's exercising his authority. He's starting to show Pharaoh. Uh, who's in charge. You want a war Pharaoh? I'll bring you a war. You're going to talk to my ambassador. But you're not even going to talk to my ambassador. You're going to talk to the priest Aaron. His emissary. And and that's how this thing's going to go Now there's a direct application for us today Every question the world the flesh and the devil will throw at you Already has an answer. Did you know that? So we talk about this continual conflict. We talk about this pressure the cool thing about y'all If you're born again this morning If you're filled with the spirit of god the word of god the local church the new testament and the old testament right here in this book This is your rod Now it's not a serpent I'll get to that at the end. Stay here to the end of the message. Don't leave. Sorry. You can leave. You gotta leave, but she'll pick it up later. <laughs> There's one exception. But this is our rod, right? Why? Because, well, we know, we know Revelation chapter 19, Revelation chapter 1. Jesus' testimony is the spirit of what? Prophecy. God knows what's gonna happen. He knows the beginning from the end. He has all the answers. Right here. And this is the authority like at HBF, this is our authority. This is the Bible. We operate by the Bible. I got saved by trusting what the Bible says. God had the answers to my problems before I was even born. He already solved my problem almost 2,000 years before I was born. Over 1,900 years before I was born, God had already solved my problem. He already solved my problem and provided a solution. He was just waiting for me to catch up. I mean, this this is the rod that God has given us, and it's an it's an authority. It's even called the authorized version of the Bible. It has superior answers to all the straw arguments erected against God and his word in this world. And so there's nothing that God uh, has not thought of or prepared for in his word. Now, that doesn't mean we always understand it. We see it clearly or understand it ourselves because God's ways are higher than our ways and his thoughts are higher than our thoughts. But if you spend any time studying this book, the whole counsel of God's word, you'll walk away going. Whoa. That is the words of God. It's not the thoughts of God alone, although it is his his words are his thoughts. It is the words like he's prepared for us, his words. He speaks to us from his Bible, from his word. And I tell you what, his word puts the, the, the straw dog arguments of this world to shame. First Corinthians 319 says, for the wisdom of this world is foolishness with God, for it is written. He taketh the wise in their own craftiness. I like that. He'd take it the wise in their own craftiness. You know, Pharaoh thought he was being pretty, pretty smart, right? In the previous chapter, chapter six, he's like, okay, you want your, you want these people to go, I'll tell you what. I'm going to take away their straw, they're going to make more bricks, and, uh, and they ain't going anywhere, you know? And I'm going to tell them that's your fault, Moses, so there you go. I'm pretty slick. And, uh, and, and so, and it, you know what? For a minute, it worked. I mean, they were so oppressed, they didn't even want to listen to Moses anymore. Now, Moses was depressed. I mean, it was just, a, it was stressful. It was difficult. And God's like, ah, I got this. Just do what I tell you, Moses, and, and it'll be fine. And you know what? He was right. Just do what I say. When God calls you to stand before doubters and disputers, you must be under the, his authority and provide the miraculous power of the word of God. Because it is about authority. Uh, when we speak, we must be under God's authority. When we speak, we're to speak with God's authority. This was evident in the ministry of Jesus. Any given Sunday, like you don't want to hear from me. And, he, I mean, you want, and people don't need to hear from us. They need to hear from God. We need to be dead to ourselves so that Jesus Christ can quicken us and his words can speak. And they can go forth in power. In Matthew chapter 7 and verse 28, this is how when Jesus spoke, there was something different about his speech. It says, and it came to pass when Jesus had ended these sayings, the people were astonished at his doctrine. That word doctrine means teaching. For he taught them as one having authority, not as the scribes, not as the scribes, not as those intellectuals that were studying Greek, right? He says, no, he taught with authority. You know what he taught? He taught that the Bible was true as it is in truth. The very words of God, God commends uh, that, well, Paul God as as well commends the Thessalonians in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 13. Why? Because when they received the word of God, they received it not as the words of men, but as it is in truth, the very words of God. It has authority. The Bible has authority. So when Peter answers the religious leaders gathered in Jerusalem, right, They, they heal a man, and they cause all kinds of uh, this lame man is now walking and he's still present. He's literally standing in the presence of the, the Hebrew leadership, the scribes and the priests. And, and they're standing around and they're like, what is going on with these people? How did they how did this miracle come to pass? And and, and John is there and, and Peter and in the, in Acts chapter four and verse 14. This is what Peter stands up. and He, he says that he says, be it known unto you all. And to all the people of Israel, that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom ye crucified, whom God raised from the dead, even by him, that this man stand before you whole. This is the stone which was set at not of you uh, builders, which has become the head of the uh, corner. Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given unto men whereby they must be saved. Now, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were unlearned and ignorant men they marveled, and they took knowledge of them that they had been with Jesus, and beholding the man which was healed standing uh, with them, they could say nothing against it. You know what God did? God was giving them authority, why? because they were under authority they were they were they had his power upon them, they' his spirit, and they were preaching his message as God commanded. These guys were resting in God's ability to do what he said he would do. They were trusting God, and God was providing, miraculously, this power so that these Jews would understand that Jesus Christ was truly the the resurrected Lord and Savior. That's important. You don't want to make the mistake of speaking for God without being under his authority. Today, there's a lot of charlatans out there. I've warned you in the previous message, right? Part of the signs and wonders and all of that that are are coming down the pipe... um, they're not, they're not all of God, right? As a matter of fact, the Antichrist will use signs and lying wonders to deceive many. Hebrew, or Ma- I don't have it in my text this morning, but Matthew 24 talks about how even the elect will be deceived. It's going to be very convincing. You know, even in the first century, after the resurrection of Jesus Christ, there were people doing miraculous things, and they weren't doing it in the power of God's Spirit. It was under false authority. In Acts 19 and verse 11, there's an account of some some Jews that were trying to emulate the ministry of the Apostle Paul. And it says, and God wrought special miracles by the hand of Paul. They were special. They weren't something that still goes on, but they were special for that time. So that from his body were brought under the unto the sick handkerchiefs or aprons and uh, <clears throat> and the diseases departed from them and the evil spirits went out of them. Verse 13, then certain of the vagabond Jews, exorcists, took upon them to call over, um, I lost my spot. Excuse me here. <clears throat> to call over to them which had evil spirits, the name of the Lord Jesus. This is where they made a mistake. We adjure you by Jesus, whom Paul preacheth. And there were seven sons of Sceva, a Jew and chief priest, which did so. So there, are these folks that are like, you know what? Man, this is a good deal. We're going to get in on this thing. Look at what Paul's. Look at the following he has. Let's try to do this and and let's see let's see what'll happen. And so they they call over and they start doing this and in the name of Jesus, just like Jesus is some lucky charm, right? Some magical spell, abracadabra. In the name of Jesus, right? And so no, no, God is like, I'm not having it. Verse 14 and there and, and there, verse 15. And the evil spirit answered and said unto uh, said, Jesus, I know. Paul, I know. But who are ye? Who are you? And the man in whom the evil spirit uh, uh, was leaped on them and overcame them and prevailed against them, so that they fled out of the house naked and wounded. And this was known to all the Jews and Greeks, also dwelling at Ephesus. And fear fell upon all, and the name of the Lord Jesus was magnified. And that's what we're seeing here with Janus and Jambers. We'll talk about them in just a moment. But ultimately, through this whole process that we'll look at in the Ten Plagues, God is exposing He's making bare the false gods of Egypt. Oh, they had power. But God's been saying, look, I have the power. I am the authority. So you don't have to have a vision on Mount Horeb or an appearance from Jesus in a dream. If you're born again, God has given you the authority to go and share the love of Christ with everyone in your sphere of influence. Simply speak what God has said to you from the Word of God. It's preserved for you, and this is the message you have. It is the authority that you have. And you don't need my authority if once you're born again, you can take this bible and you can tell everybody how jesus saved you That's what we should all be doing all the time if we're born again And uh, and there's more people that want to hear it than people who don't I believe at this time God has his commands in this book and it is the rod that is in our hand Isaiah 46 9 says remember the former things of old For I am god. You're always looking for something new, but god says remember what i've already given you I am god and there is none else I am God, and there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning and from the ancient times the things that are not yet done, saying, My counsel shall stand, and I will do all my pleasure. God is sovereign, and He can can get the right answer no matter what variables we give Him. Pharaoh can stand there all day long saying, I'm not going to let your people go, and God's going to get His people out because you can't beat God. I know some of some there's some sinners, their hearts are hardened against God, but God continues to extend his grace. He continues to uh, send people to 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 preach the gospel in hopes that their their heart might soften and they may receive the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I pray they do. But if they don't, God will still have his way. He will still fulfill his purposes. There's no one that's going to stop God. Another thing we got to do. Uh, as we rest in God's ability, is rest in God's ability to defeat Pharaoh's sorceries, right? God knew his speech, but he also brought these sorceries, right? These these, uh, magicians, these wise men that did these sorceries. In Exodus 7.10, we see that Moses and Aaron went in unto Pharaoh, and they did so as the Lord had commanded. And Aaron cast down his rod before Pharaoh and before his servants, and it became a serpent. Then Pharaoh also called the wise men... um, I'm sorry... Uh, and Pharaoh called the, uh, the wise men and the sorcerers, now the magicians of Egypt, they also did in like manner with their enchantments, for they cast down every man his rod and they became serpents, but Aaron's rod swallowed up their rods. Moses rested in God's power to speak the Lord's command. So they throw these rods down, and you guys clearly know the story. Everybody's seen it. I think there's probably not, probably hardly anybody doesn't know this account. But Moses understood. His limitations right his job was simply to speak what god had called him to speak That's all he could do really. He couldn't make his rod turn into a serpent Uh, He couldn't make aaron's rod turn into a serpent He could do what god told him to do and that would happen There's a difference It wasn't just go out willy-nilly and do what you want to do Moses, I need you to speak on my behalf and when you speak on my behalf and do what I tell you to do You'll see miraculous things happen Beloved, that's what we really need in the church today. Is we just need Christians who are obedient to speak what God tells us to speak where He tells us to speak it, and then we will see miraculous things happen. We can sit around and make excuses all day about well, people really don't want to hear the gospel, this, that, and the other. That's baloney. Really what we we're not we're not even we're not even told to consider the environment. Our job is to simply go and tell people. It is in God's it's God's business how that lands with folks. Now, obviously, we need to do everything in our ability to be gracious and kind, demonstrate the fruit of the Spirit because that's who we're representing. That is not just what we are, it's who we are. So that should come kind of naturally because it's supernatural. When we're walking in the Spirit, when the Word of God dwells in us richly, we're going to be full of love. We're going to have joy. We're going to be long-suffering. We're going to be gentle, patient, kind. So we don't come across like jerk faces, you know, turn a bird you know, grab him by the neck and get saved now, you know. That's not going to work very well. And maybe there are some places we need to do that, but most places, uh, it's 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 it, you know it's just the love of God. If they don't want to hear it, you move on to the next person. You wipe the dust off your feet, like one of those uh, you know, Final Four basketball teams, you know, there in the and the on the paint cleaning their shoes off. I never I wonder about that. They're always trying to get a grip on their shoes, and that's kind of nasty. But anyway, um, you, you shake the dust off your feet, and then you go forward to the next opportunity. And so you stand and you, and you do the command that God has called you to do. And God understood, or Moses, I'm sorry, understood his limitations. He was simply an officer. He was simply an ambassador, right? That's all that he was. Uh, there was nothing else that he could do other than what God told him to do. Moses stayed in his lane, and he didn't take on too much, and he also didn't take on too little. He spoke to Aaron just as God commanded him, and Aaron obeyed his voice, and God blessed the word of his servants Moses and Aaron. So we call, we're called to preach the gospel. Even though, think about this. We are called to preach the gospel even though we cannot save anyone. Isn't that crazy? How did this church just appear out of nowhere? I can't save anybody. I can't disciple. I mean, we can make disciples, but we can te- all we do is we teach the Bible. Who does the work? God. You can't get a group this size in one room to agree on anything in in America. But you know what? We all agree on one thing, and that's who God is. It's his word. It's his authority, right? God does the work. We just simply believe God's word, speak God's word, and then God does the work. Whether it's the work of salvation or the work of building his church. And that's what he told them, right? I, I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Now go ye therefore... And what is your job? Teach all nations. Baptizing them, right? We, we did that last week. So those are the things that we do. We, we speak God's word and we do what he tells us to do. But ultimately, the power comes from God. Moses and Aaron rested in God's ability and his power. And, you know, we're called to make disciples, but we can't make anyone obey. We simply give them every opportunity to succeed. From salvation to sanctification to sending. Like, I know we need to plant churches. We need to send out missionaries. I can't make anybody become a missionary. I can't make anybody get saved. I can't make anybody go to HBI. I can't make anybody do anything. Uh, It's all God doing his work in the hearts of people. Moses rested in God's power to defeat Pharaoh's sorceries. He rested in God's power to defeat Pharaoh's sorceries. We need God's power to stand against the wickedness of this world. Paul was very clear in the New Testament that we are to do our part so that God will do his part. For us, we're trusting in God's power, and it requires us that we gird up the loins of our mind in 1 Peter 1.13 and and, and put on the whole armor of God, Ephesians six ten through 20, and take the word of the Spirit, which is the word of God, Hebrews 4.12, to a lost and dying world. Those are all military type of things, aren't they? getting our minds prepared, being girded up in the loins of our mind, mentally, emotionally be ready, have the whole armor of God on, Ephesians 6. All of that is the, is the disposition in which we are to have with a sharp two-edged sword in our hand. The only offensive weapon we have is the Bible. So Pharaoh's power was, was real, even though it was wrong. Today, uh, if you study this out or go, you know, I don't know, listen to sermons or whatever, I think most people that I've read and, and look, they're always saying, "Well, we don't know if this was real. You know, it was some sort of uh, Im- what do you call it the illusion, like we would do today in Las Vegas." You know, I'm like, "Really?" Now, I, I think the power was real. It was just really wrong. You know, in America, in the West, you know, we've, that kind of power isn't usually manifest that that often. Uh, but when you get into certain countries, the darker it gets spiritually, the more pagan they become, the more this kind of power is manifest. in in other places, you don't want to give place to it because the devil will fill it, you know. And so, yeah, I believe it was real. I believe that these these, you know, I don't think Pharaoh was freaked out. Oh, huh, you think you got a serpent? You just wait. Pharaoh's power was real, even though it was wrong. You know, many preachers and commentators explain away Pharaoh's response from the magicians as some sleight of hand or illusion, but I believe it was, it was demonic. And, and these wicked magicians were able to, to uh, somehow, and I don't know how, I'm not into that darkness. I'm wise concerning good and trying to stay simple concerning evil. Somehow Satan gave him the power to stand off against God's messengers. So God was aimed at, at the heart of Pharaoh's confidence and false hope. Moses, Moses would have understood. Uh, Moses would have understood the significance of the serpent, since he grew up in Pharaoh's house and was a prince of Egypt himself. He completely understood what was going on in the religion of Egypt. I suspect that long before Sinai, uh, Moses had reckoned with the entire religious cult that was in Egypt. He would have had to, and he and he built upon um, the decision. Uh, He built upon the understanding that he had of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Somewhere along the way, Moses had to say, you know what? I'm not buying into this Pharaoh business. I'm not buying into this cult that they're in. I'm going to go with what I know is true from the Hebrews, that there is a God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. There's one true God, and I'm going to follow him. Now you say, well, Brian, how do you know that? Well, I don't know that if God didn't tell me that. Hebrews chapter 11 tells us exactly that is what happened. In, in Hebrews 11, 24, it says, By faith, Moses, when he was come to years, you know, when he became a man, he refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. His identity. He's like, You know, I'm not doing this anymore. Choosing rather to suffer the affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. Esteeming the reproach of Christ greater than the the treasures in Egypt, for he had respect unto the recompense of the reward. You say, well, how could he have uh, chose Christ when Christ hasn't been born yet? That's a great question because Jesus is God and God is who appeared to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He was following Christ. That's called a Christophany. That's who met him on Mount Horeb. And so by faith, he forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, he endured as seeing him who is invisible because no man has seen God. So Pharaoh would have understood that this serpent on Pharaoh, or I'm sorry, Moses would have understood that this serpent on Pharaoh's crown represented uh, Urasus. And so the serpent God of the lower, that's the serpent God of the lower Nile Delta. And this serpent God was part of the, the protective deity that control, that was controlled by Wajit, which was, I was mentioning earlier is this, um, the daughter of Ra, the sun God and the daughter of ra had that third eye if you've ever seen the egyptian um, i saw chris rock the other day in a picture he had this egyptian uh, all seeing eye on his on his necklace and uh swinging around there and uh and so uh that's an all seeing eye it represents there was two of them one was from the serpent and the other one was from a falcon now, the falcon represented what's called Upper Egypt, which we would think would be the Nile Delta, but it's actually the lower end of Egypt on the south. And Lower Egypt, which was actually where the Nile Delta is, was represented by this serpent. So as the kingdoms combined, they put both of those on their crown. And they, and they had two all-seeing eyes. And, uh, and so uh, you can see that like on your dollar bill. That's where all that comes from, that all-seeing eye, Illuminati, all that stuff. So, um, but, you know, that's all coming from ancient Egyptian religion and it's luciferian ultimately and so and so the uh the cobra was the snake that guided and protected Ra as i mentioned earlier as it made its trip through the underworld and god knew that so in a sense it's true that that we know that satan is the prince and the power of the air the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience according to ephesians 2 2 the scripture says that he is the king of all the children of pride Leviathan, a, a kind of a serpent like creature, scaly creature, is the king of all the children of pride, Job chapter forty one and verse thirty four. So Pharaoh, in a way, was following his god, the serpent god. And, and Pharaoh's typically he had three crowns uh, the Nemes, the, the Presh, and the uh, uh, it's pronounced skint crown. The, the na- these three crowns represented different things um, for the pharaohs. The, the nemes crown was worn at the funeral, and you've seen that, like King Tut. It's like a lion-like face, and you got the big headdress, you know, that that one. And on the front, you'll see the, the serpent, of course. You can go up to the, the Nelson-Atkins Museum of Art, and they used to have some down there in the display. You can look at them up close and personal. There's the, the press crown, which is worn uh, with military attire, it's uh it's something that they would have you know as more of a military general type of thing it also of course the point of showing you that is what's on the front of that crown the serpent is' protecting the head right protecting the the head of the the uh the uh, uh the pharaoh and protecting the kingdom, the authority all the symbolism that goes with that and the third is a uh the uh, the uh, third crown is the uh the cent crown and it's uh it's kind of pronounced kent depending on who pronounces it but it's neither here nor there it's the one that they wore every day it was the common it was a common crown that they wore and um and that actually shows you the migration uh, one was from the south and one was from the north and then they combined them uh to give that that final crown that you see over there on the uh that would be your right yeah and and so that crown is probably what would have been on the head of pharaoh the day that um that Moses and Aaron spoke with him uh, Moses would have been completely familiar with all of this and understood it and he would have probably understood exactly what God was doing with these serpents that it was a standoff between who was who was going who was God and who wasn't you also notice though that in all those crowns there's one common denominator and it's got a serpent it's got a serpent i suspect that Aaron's rod probably did not turn into a cobra those serpents on all those crowns are always cobras, uh, just like all the movies you've seen and all the headdresses you've seen. It's always a cobra. Cobras are stinking scary looking. They got those things in India, and uh, we were having church one morning, and and uh, there's a big dust up behind the building, and they killed this big old long cobra, and I'm like, whoa! I mean, I don't like copperheads, I don't like rattlesnakes, I certainly don't like cobras. I mean, good night. That stuff. There's something about those things put the fear of God in me. So um, and so those <laughs> those those things are are real, and I could see why you know you would want them to protect you because you don't want to get bit by one. But um, but at any rate, uh, Aaron's rod probably didn't turn into a cobra, and I don't have any evidence of this uh, really. So this is my opinion. So pretty much I'll tell you Bible Bible Bible. This is what the Bible says. Now, this is Brian's opinion, and I'll give you my opinion. If you disagree, it's okay, because I don't really know. So I'll know when I get to heaven. And if you can find some Bible to show me what serpent it was, great. Um, but I don't know right now. So but what this is what I think. I think it wasn't a cobra because uh, because of the image, I'm getting ready to show you, um, of of the snake that attacks Ra as it goes through the underworld. Uh, there's a uh, As he would go through, the, do you guys have that image to put on the screen? As he went through the underworld, uh, they, they, got, they got images trying to spear this snake. That snake and all the all the all the uh, images that they they provided <clears throat> that by the ancient Egyptians. There it is, that snake that he's spearing. That's that that's that ape that they're so scared of. He's never a cobra. He's never a cobra. Uh, he's the bad guy, and of course, if he wins, he you know everything goes into chaos. So they're they're the hero every night. As uh, Ra is sitting down there on the throne with the sun on his head uh, going through there. And uh, and they're killing uh, Apep, you know, so that the sun can rise the next day. So I suspect that when Rose, Moses threw his rod down, it was probably probably put fear in him if it wasn't a cobra. And, and also put a contrast between them. I don't know. I did, those are things I wonder about. I'll know when I get to heaven. But I think it's highly likely that Pharaoh saw the type of a serpent that Moses had Uh, and he probably responded confidently thinking oh my god is going to put these gods down right Uh, because he thought for sure that he was going to win and that brings us to janice and uh, jambers you're like who are those dudes how many of you don't don't shout it out but how many just raise your hand if you know who janice and jambers were yeah because that's one of those weird things you're reading your bible and it's like these two names come out of nowhere and uh, it's in the Bible in 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 8. It says, Now Janus and Jambres withstood Moses, so do these also resist the truth. Men of corrupt minds, reprobate concerning the faith, but they shall proceed no further, for their folly shall be manifest unto all men as theirs also was. Janus and Jambres were the two magicians that Pharaoh called upon in, in Exodus 7 and uh, verse 12. These are the ones that were able in verses 11 and 12 to throw down their rods. These guys were able to do this stuff. And God remembered their name, and God—you don't even see their name pop up until Second Timothy chapter three and verse eight. I can imagine the confidence Pharaoh probably had when Janice and Jambers cast down their rods; they turned into serpents. Surely they were cobras, and he thought, "Man, this is it." I bet Pharaoh was thinking, "Here we go, man. I got—I got two snakes, and Aaron's got one. You know, we're gonna get this. This is—this is gonna be good." And the next thing you know. He probably we had to go clean his drawers when all of a sudden his two cobras got eaten up. <clears throat> and so uh, it, I'm sure it was a shock, not only to Pharaoh, but to everybody in the court. And so it's a strong message that God was, was sending that, that, that the darkness and the chaos was about to come upon Egypt. And it's a reason, that's the reason this particular miracle went on before the ten plagues. Part of that ten plagues brings darkness. And so you can imagine, what was the message? Jehovah God is greater than your gods. And you better be careful, Pharaoh, because I'm coming for you. You know. And of course, you would think, I would think, if I was Pharaoh, I might have been a little bit convinced. (laughs) I might have said, you know what? Maybe it's time to get together and find a way to get these people out of here before we have some problems. If they don't even want to be here, let's just get them out of here and find a way out. But you know what? He wouldn't do that, would he? Why? Well, we know why, because God's already told us he would harden Pharaoh's heart. And we see in verse 13, the number of rebellion. That's exactly what God says in, in uh, verse 18 or in verse 13. It says, and, and he, he being God, hardened Pharaoh's heart that he hearkened not unto them as the Lord had said. Now, last uh, week, if you were here, you need to go back and listen to What I talked, I I talked about the eight times Pharaoh's heart's hardened, four by God, four by himself, and you can go and and look at that from last week. I don't have time to rehearse all that. But this is the last point for for this study this morning. We need to rest in God's ability to judge Pharaoh's stubbornness. We gotta rest in God's ability to judge Pharaoh's stubbornness. God is large and in charge, and He is the one who hardened Pharaoh's heart. This is the first of four references, as I mentioned last week, of him hardening Pharaoh's heart. And this number 13, of course, verse 13 is, I don't believe, an accident. I believe God put it there right on purpose because he's just showing and highlighting the rebellion of Pharaoh's heart. Now, you may ask, you may wonder, how God hardened Pharaoh's heart? And there's all kinds of debate and discussion about God's sovereignty, this, that, and the other. But I want you guys to think about this a little differently in light of everything that we know. Everything that I've told you this morning and hang with me. I told you got to hang to the end on this one Uh, because there's things there that we still need to consider. Um, We don't we don't have to delve deeply into God's character and defend his methods for dealing with Pharaoh, as many try to do. As I set forth last week, Pharaoh was worthy of God's judgment before he before Moses ever showed up. I mean, that guy was a wicked sinner. If God dropped him dead of a heart attack and sent him to hell, God would have been just. He doesn't have to go through any of these tricks. But God is working on something, and I'll share that with you a little bit more here in just a moment. And he'd he'd already, uh, I've already touched on that, so you can go back and hear some of that last week. But what I want to get to this morning is, practically speaking, I believe God simply hardened Pharaoh's heart by doing nothing to stop him from believing his own lies. How did God harden Pharaoh's heart? (gasps) He didn't do anything. He just let Pharaoh believe what he wanted to believe. Again, I touched on this slightly last week when I read Romans chapter one. When does the judgment of God come upon people? When he ceases to convict us by his spirit, when he goes ahead and lets us do what we want to do, when we just do what we want to do and we start ignoring the conviction of the spirit of God, lost or saved. Eventually, he will just let you do what you want to do. That is the worst judgment you can ever have. You may ask, how do you come up with that, Brian? And I'm glad you asked. <clears throat> the defeat of, of Urasus was already explained by the false, or by the the, uh, the defeat of his god Urasus was already explained by the fable that when the moon, or when the sun was eclipsed, it was a temporary victory by Apep. And it was only temporary, of course, and then the sun would come back out. So this victory. I'm sure he thought this is, just, this is just a temporary victory by Moses and Aaron. But, but my gods will come back. And God's like, okay, you want to believe that? Go ahead. Because it's not a temporary victory. And that's why the conflict continued. And I touched on that last week, Romans one twenty-eight. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a reprobate mind to do those things which are not convenient. It's okay. I'll do what I want with my body. I'll do what I want with this. I'll do what I'll do this. I'll do that. I'll do what I want to do because I want to do it. You better be careful with that attitude because God might just let you do it. It's okay to smoke meth. It's okay. It's a good weight loss program. You better hope God continues to convict you that that is wrong because it's going to hurt you and a lot of other people. We see this going on before our very eyes in society today. How is it that that biological males and females cannot discern, they cannot even understand their own gender? Why is that? We better pray to God that God does not give them over to a reprobate mind to actually believe that they are not who God created them to be. The judgment falls when that perversion, when they're allowed to continue in it, when they're allowed to continue in that perversion. It's not that God's going to judge us for perversion. It's that he's already judging the perversion that we're in. That is the judgment. The next step is to identify as a four-footed beast or some creeping thing. When people start doing that, and there are people already doing that. And now all of a sudden we're like, protect your kids, protect your children. Why? Because perversion is becoming part of the mindset of people because they're becoming increasingly pagan. Nothing new under the sun. It is the judgment of God. Would to God that the truth of God's word would eclipse that. The Bible is true. There is continual conflict with the truth. Why? Because the devil wants to keep people in darkness. He doesn't want them to come to the light of the truth. So God is using the hardening of Pharaoh's heart for the benefit of his children who are in danger of facing the same judgment as Pharaoh. Now, this is the point you really got to get that you might miss. It wasn't just about Pharaoh knowing who God was. He was, his judgment was already settled. We know he's not going to come to to faith, right? But there were, there were Hebrews, there were Jews that were in captivity, in bondage, that were also worshiping these fake deities, that were buying into this false religion. You say, well, how do you know that? Because Ezekiel chapter 20 tells us that. In Ezekiel 20, 890 years after God delivered Israel out of Egypt, God writes to Ezekiel and he says, hey, in the day that I lifted up mine hand unto them to bring them forth of the land of Egypt into the land that I espied for them, flowing with milk and honey, which, the glory of all, which is the glory of all the lands, then said I unto them, Cast ye away every man the abomination of his eyes, and defile not yourselves with the idols of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. Get rid of all those Egyptian idols. Get them out of your life. Don't worship those gods. But they rebelled against me and would not hearken unto me. They did not every man cast away the abominations of their eyes. Neither did they forsake the idols of Egypt. Then I said, I will pour out my fury upon them to accomplish my anger against them in the midst of the land of Egypt. You'll note later on when we get into the plagues. Initially, the plagues were not just on the Egyptians. They were on everybody. Why? Because some Hebrews needed to repent. They were on the wrong team. But I wrought for my name's sake that it should not be polluted before the heathen among whom they were in whose sight I made myself known unto them in bringing them forth out of the land of Egypt. You see, God was judging Pharaoh so that his children would understand this is not the way to go. And so Pharaoh was a vessel of dishonor. This is not the example that you want, children of Israel. Stay away from his gods. My, I am greater than this. Get away. Beloved, there are people in the church this morning probably that need to get away from some things and you need to understand that you're going the wrong direction. God's people acting like the world. Divorce rate is the same in the church as it is in the world. I mean, fornication happens in the church like it happens in the world. All that stuff that we are not to be doing. God says, listen, wake up. Judgment's coming on this world. The the tribulation period's coming. All of that's coming down. You do not want to be lined up with that. Follow me. Follow my authority. Speak my words. Be on my team. Be my son. Be my ambassador. Take my commands. Be under my authority. Don't do what is right in your own eyes. God uh, God warned God's people through the prophet Isaiah that he could allow them to believe in the lies of idolatry, just as Pharaoh. We had a man get upset one time because we were teaching this in D2. It doesn't change the fact that it's true. You can get upset all day. But God said in Ezekiel 14 and verse 4, Therefore speak unto them and say unto them, Thus saith the Lord God, every man of the house of Israel uh, that setteth up his idols in his heart and putteth the stumbling block of his iniquity before his face and cometh to the prophet. I the Lord will answer him with, uh, that cometh according to the multitude of his idols. If he will not put away idolatry, I will let him believe a lie. I will let him continue in his own deception. He will deceive himself because he will not obey. He will not repent. That I might take the house of Israel in their own heart, because they are all estranged from me through their idols. Therefore, say unto the house of Israel, Thus saith the Lord God, Repent! Right, change your heart and mind. Right, turn yourselves from your idols and turn away your faces from your abominations. For every one of the house of Israel, or the stranger that sojourneth in Israel, which separateth himself from me and seeth. Uh, And setteth up his idols in his heart and putteth the stumbling block of his iniquity before his faith and come face and becometh uh, and cometh to a prophet to inquire of him concerning me. I, the Lord, will answer him by myself. I will give him a message. And it's not going to be the one that he needs to hear. It's the one he wants to hear. You know what the Bible says in the New Testament? In the last days, there's going to be perilous times. Uh, and there's going to be all kinds of teaching and there's going to be all kinds of congregations. And you know what they want? They just want their ears tickled. They want preachers that will say what they want them to say. They want preachers to be... They, and the preachers want to say what needs to be said so they can earn a buck. So they can make some money. They can make merchandise out of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that is the essence of idolatry. This is not a business. This is a calling. This is not about... Nickels and noses. This is about the living God and dwelling people and saving them for all of eternity. And it makes a difference if you're on His team or not. And if you want to continue in idolatry, even in the New Testament, guess what? You're playing the wrong side, even if you're saved. America right now talks about revival, revival, revival. If you want revival, then let's start burning our idols. You know, get your ACD, all, you know, so, I'm so old, we used to repent, you burned your albums, right? We don't even have that anymore. I don't know what you do. Delete your account! I don't know. <laughs> Hit the delete key! Whatever it takes! Isn't it true? That's what repentance is about. You don't want to allow God to, you don't want to be left worshiping your idols. Would to God the Spirit of God would convict us and say, man, Lord, I, if I'm like Pharaoh, man, forgive me. Lord, I, I want to cast down those idols. We sing songs like that. Oh, let me cast down my idols. Well, let's do it. You, you don't need me to tell you what your idols are. You already know. First Peter four seventeen. For the time has come that judgment must begin at the house of God. And if it first begin at us, what shall the end be of them that obey not the gospel of God? You think, oh, this is all about Pharaoh. It's all about Pharaoh. And it is about Pharaoh. But it's also about the children of Israel purging themselves with idolatry so they're fit to serve the king of kings and the Lord of lords and represent him well in the promised land. I've already set that forth. God set that forth in his word. So, beloved, if you're not seeing the parallels of this passage, please let me paint one little more picture and we'll be done. As we conclude this morning, judgment was going to fall. ...on all who didn't believe in the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Later on in Numbers 21, God would do a strange thing in the wilderness. Short little passage, Numbers 21, 4. Israel's now delivered. They're in the, they're out in the wilderness before the promised land. And they journeyed from Mount Hor by the way of the Red Sea to come past the land of Edom. And the, and the soul of the people was much discouraged because of the way. And the people spake against God and against Moses... Wherefore, ye uh, have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in this wilderness? Oh, I want to go back to Egypt. For there is no bread, neither is there any water. And our soul loatheth this light bread, this manna that God has provided us so freely and graciously. And the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people. He brings out the serpents. And it bit the people, and much the people of Israel died. Therefore, the people... Uh, Therefore the people came to Moses and said, We have sinned, for we have spoken against the Lord and against thee. Pray unto the Lord that he take away the serpents from us. And Moses prayed for the people. And the Lord said unto Moses, Make thee a fiery serpent, and set it upon a pole. And it shall come to pass that every one that is bitten, when he looketh upon it, shall live. And Moses made a serpent of brass and put it on a pole. And it came to pass that if a serpent had bitten any man... When he beheld the serpent of brass, he lived. And I think many of you know the old song. Look and live, my brother live. Look to Jesus now and live. It's recorded in his word, hallelujah. It is only that you look and live. Paul would write to the Galatians in Galatians 3 and say, Christ hath redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone that hangeth on a tree. Quoting from Deuteronomy chapter twenty-one and verse twenty-two, that says, "If a man have committed a sin worthy of death, and he be put to death, and thou hang him on a tree, his body shall not remain all the night upon the tree, but thou shalt in any wise bury him that day, for he is hanged. He that is hanged is a cursed of God, that the land be not defiled, which the Lord thy God giveth for thee for an inheritance." You see, beloved, these serpents that we're talking about. There's a serpent that is put on a pole later on in numbers. This serpent is cursed by the law itself. And it's a picture and it's a type of Christ. Whoever looks to Christ lives. There's a little truth in every lie. There was a sun God that was being protected by a serpent. I told you it was Luciferian. Jesus is not a serpent, but he became a curse for us. Why? That we may resurrect with him at the resurrection. I mean, all that was right there, man, so close to Pharaoh, so close, but so far. Because his heart was hard to the one true God. And beloved, it is no accident that in 1 Corinthians 15, when Paul's preaching about the resurrection of the saints, this is what he says, So when this corruptible shall have put on incorruption and this mortal shall have put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. Pray tell, how is our death swallowed up in victory? It's because Jesus Christ became a curse for us and he was the one who fulfilled the law of Moses that we couldn't keep. And when death and hell were coming for us, you know what he did? He swallowed them up in his son and became a curse for us by hanging on that tree. Death and hell are swallowed up. It's what the Bible says. Oh death, where is thy sting? Where's the fiery serpent's sting? I don't feel it anymore. Oh grave, where's the victory? The sting of death is sin and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, which giveth us the victory through Jesus Christ, beloved. He is the way he is the truth. He is the life. The Bible tells us in Psalm 40 and verse seven, then said I Lo, I come in the volume of a book. It is written of me. I delight to do thy will, O God. Yea, the law is within my heart. Man, Jesus came to this earth. The law was in his heart. He would not, he refused to disobey God. He kept every command. He became a a, a curse for us. He became a serpent for us. He hung on the tree and before that day was over they broke his leg. They put a spear in his side and the blood and the water came out and he was dead. But he rose again the third day. And he's alive right now. And if you have not called upon the name of the Lord to be saved, I am telling you, you've got to quit putting it off because God might give you the lie that you want to believe is that I'm okay without Jesus. And he'll let my good works outweigh my bad works. No, 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 no. There's only one way, and that is to trust in Jesus Christ and what he's already done. It's an affront to God to work your way to heaven, else he would not have had to die on the cross. If there's any good work that we could have done to earn our way to heaven, Jesus wouldn't have had to die. But he had to die because all of us have fallen short of the glory of God. Every one of us. And he wants all of us to be saved because he is a God of love. He loves us. And he's demonstrated that. And beloved, in a world where there's continual conflict and there's there's contention between light and dark, good and evil, you better decide whose team you're going to be on. Because today, as the ambassador speaks, is the day of salvation. Let's stand. Heavenly Father, I thank you for the opportunity to preach your word once again. I thank you for this...